This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Well, after the Democrat speech that Biden gave, where he was telling us he was going to spend trillions of dollars, six trillion dollars, I think we all know that they are more or less embracing modern monetary theory. They think that they can spend whatever they want to spend. And it's a way of bolstering their political prospects. They're redistributing wealth. They're adhering to Marxist principles and all of this. Maybe we should be concerned about where this is going for the economy, folks. I I feel like that's the only way that the American people will enough Americans will wake up to what's really going on here is when we see the real effect of some of these policies. And that's going to be hitting a lot of folks in their bank accounts. But did you know that real gold and silver can be delivered to your door? This is a means of preparing for inflation and rough economic times. You can diversify your portfolio. You can actually have a real store of wealth or value with real gold and silver. And it can be placed right into your IRA or 401k, tax-free and penalty-free. That's right, real gold and silver in your hands or your retirement accounts. Why should you own real gold and silver? Because they both hold value, especially when markets decline or fail. You want a little bit of insurance, a little bit of safety, a little margin of error for the economy with this Biden administration? You need real gold and silver in your hands or in your IRA or both. The Oxford Gold Group will beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and request your free precious metals investment guide. 833-600-GOLD. Speak with the Oxford Gold Group today. They'll answer all your questions and send you their precious metals investment guide. The Oxford Gold Group, 833-600-GOLD. It was difficult to stay awake last night during the Joe Biden speech. It was boring. There were just some moments where you were jolted out of uh, that extreme weariness by something particularly left wing or disingenuous or dishonest. Nothing about the speech that Biden gave the address to a joint session of Congress, not a state of the union, but basically a state of the union. Uh, Nothing inspiring, nothing even all that memorable. But the journos, like the trained seals they are, clapping, they want you to believe that everybody thought the speech was amazing. Here's CBS telling you their polls say 85% of viewers love Biden's speech. Play three. What we did was we talked to we talked to a a sample, a representative sample of the audience nationwide who watched the speech and they liked what they heard. We got 85% approving of the speech. Now, I've got to add right off the bat here that as is typical with presidential speeches, a lot of his own partisans made up the bulk of the audience. So this audience Mm. was majority Democrats watching it. And, and, you know, for context, back when President Trump was giving speeches, a lot of Republicans watched those. So that's you've got to know that behind these numbers. But that said, the audience said that they liked what they heard. And then how did they describe it? Well, this is a word we found in other polling. And again, in this one, people using to to describe 
describe Joe Biden, presidential, uh, caring in this case. They thought the speech, many thought the speech was inspiring. And then this one, folks have been talking about where his plans, you know, big, uh, were the things that people wanted. And this word bold was used by 80 percent of the audience, too. So to that extent, he kind of hit his mark. If he wanted to convey bold, it seems like he did, Elaine. Uh, so a bunch of Democrats like the Biden speech is really <laughs> that's the takeaway. The headline they give you is 85 percent of viewers approve of Biden's speech. All right. What percentage of those viewers are actually Democrats who voted for Biden? Right. We're at we're at 50, 50, 50 in terms of the last election. And, and you don't get that sense from Joe Biden right now. He seems to believe he has a mandate Despite having a very narrow election win, he seems to believe that he has a mandate in all of this, which I think is just delusional. But it's also the way the Democrats approach everything. They are not scared of using power. They will use power in whatever way they can, as long as it goes toward their ultimate goals. And they'll steamroll the other side. And it doesn't matter that when they're out of power, they talk about bipartisanship and bringing both sides together and common sense reforms and all this stuff. The moment that they're in charge, it's their way or the highway. And you got a lot of that last night. Now, there's another a trick Biden borrowed from Obamaism, if you will, which is to say that everything was terrible, the worst ever before he came into office. Obama did this. All the time. Biden did this last night. Play eight. We all know life can knock us down. But in America, we never, ever, ever stay down. Americans always get up. Today, that's what we're doing. America's rising anew, choosing hope over fear, truth over lies, and light over darkness. After 100 days of rescue and renewal, America's ready for a takeoff, in my view. We're working again, dreaming again, discovering again, and leading the world again. We have shown each other and the world that there's no quit in America. None. 100 days ago, America's house was on fire. We had to act. And thanks to the extraordinary leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Majority Leader Schumer, and the overwhelming support of the American people, Democrats, independents, and Republicans, we did act. We don't support what this guy's done. <laughs> what is he talking about? It, it's like make-believe. It, it's as though he's just sketching out a fantasy for all to listen to here. Yes, that's right. Those great statesmen, stateswoman, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, sure, they, they're really all about rescuing America. I, I know it's like we're living in two different countries, two different universes right now between Democrats and Republicans. This old buffoon who really, with, with his every word, I just think this is a guy who's trying to sell me a, you know, 1985 Dodge Dart or something with 190,000 miles on it and some some really shaky engine stuff going on, but telling me, oh, she, she you know, she purrs like a kitten, you know, doing a, she's great, you know, you're gonna you got another hundred thousand miles on this one, no problem. Sure you do. 
He's just so slimy, and it's all so false. He's just a party man. It's all he's ever been. Doesn't have any principles, doesn't have any ideas. He just mouths the preferred slogans of the leftist overlords around him, the puppeteers who actually call the shots and make him dance to the demanded tune. We saw plenty of that going on. We saw uh, plenty of borrowing from Obamaism as well. The, the creation of straw men, the false urgency of now, 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 we must go, we must do things as quickly as possible. The world will not wait. Play nine. Investments in jobs and infrastructure like the ones we're talking about have often had bipartisan support in the past. Vice President Harris and I met regularly in the Oval Office with Democrats and Republicans and discussed the jobs plan. And I applaud a group of Republican senators who just put forward their own proposal. So let's get to work. I wanted to lay out before the Congress my plan before we got into the deep discussions. I'd like to meet with those who have ideas that are different, they think are better. I welcome those ideas, but the rest of the world is not waiting for us. I just want to be clear. From my perspective, doing nothing is not an option. Doing nothing. About what exactly? Spending is is it between doing nothing and six trillion dollars of spending? Is that what we're really talking about? That's in in addition to what the federal government was already planning to spend. But if you were if you were watching it, and I doubt many of you were because why Biden's speech had the perfect optics for this presidency. It was all about the realization of a one party state. Republicans are to be ignored and suppressed and lied to until they just don't exist. No dissent, no compromise, no good faith. Good old Scranton Joe. That's what was being offered up last night. That and Joe Biden is basically Santa Claus without the red cheeks and the jolly belly full of jelly. Right. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden is just out there promising to give everybody all this stuff. You know, we're going to give you free child care and we're going to give you free health care. We're going to give you free, you know, free, free, everything free, free years, two years of college, paid leave, all these things. Well, this is what you get when you have somebody who's been drawing a paycheck from the public, from the taxpayer for his entire adult life, has no idea how a business actually functions, doesn't know what it is to have to engage in competition in the marketplace today. I mean, Joe Biden thinks marketplace competition is when you try to get a higher bribe to be on the board of Burisma because daddy is the vice president. He thinks that's how the market works. And unfortunately, because Democrats are in charge in a sense, He's right. Uh, these days, it does feel like there are two sets of rules, something we'll continue to talk about here. But there was simply nothing about Joe Biden's speech last night that was memorable, inspiring, even interesting. It's just we're going to tax rich people to pay for all this stuff that we want to give to other people because we promise it'll be really good and efficient and make everything better. There's no downside. There's no trade-off. That's one of the ultimate false promises that's at the heart of the Democrat Party today, that there will be no trade-offs with any of this. It's just all a question 
of stopping those greedy Republicans from being so greedy. Going to give all this stuff to other people. Oh, there's one thing, though, that Joe Biden, I will say, does have a lot of expertise on, and that is the price that China is willing to pay literally to destroy America, to undermine America. Joe knows this personally, if you're catching my drift. He talked about how he's going to stand up to China. Didn't mention Taiwan, though, did he? Play seven. In my discussion with President Xi, I told him, we welcome the competition. We're not looking for conflict. But I made absolutely clear that we will defend America's interest across the board. America will stand up to unfair trade practices and undercut American workers and American industries like subsidies from state to state owned operations and enterprises and the theft of American technology and intellectual property. I also told President Xi that we'll maintain a strong military presence in the Indo-Pacific, just as we do with NATO and Europe, not to start a conflict, but to prevent one. Remember, Biden has been reliably, consistently wrong on foreign policy decisions for the last 40 years. Everyone on both sides of the aisle knows that, but they can't say that now because he's their guy. He's the puppet in chief. His disconnect from economic and mathematical reality is almost impressive. I mean, the delusion is so fanciful that it's fascinating. And ultimately, what you saw on display last night was that President Joe Biden is such a shameless, self-advancing, disingenuous mediocrity. It's depressing to watch. I mean, at least a President Sanders would have been somewhat amusing as he tried to drag America toward communism. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. The Internet practically exploded when Senator Tim Scott said America is not a racist country. Oh, my gosh. Well, how could he? All all the libs, all the self-indulgent libs who walk around virtue signaling with their BLM hashtags, with their black squares on Instagram, all these things they do that cost them nothing, but they think is so strong and brave. Uh, they said, how, how dare he say it's not a racist country? Uh, then, they, then they, of course, transition to, you know, he says racism doesn't exist. That's not what he said. He said it's not a racist country. There are racists in America. There are racists in every country. And there are racists of every race. But the left doesn't believe that here. It's all, it's all about white supremacy in America. And the system is white supremacist. That's what they tell us. Ah, okay. Okay. Yes, the, the white supremacist system in America that ensures that Asian Americans have the highest per capita wealth 
and the lowest rates of incarceration of any uh, major ethnic group uh, in the population. Right. That's that's our, our white supremacist system in action. They say. Look, Senator Tim Scott. Did a a sound, solid job in the response. It's never easy because you're not the president, right? You're not speaking from that bully pulpit. But Scott did a good job. And you know this because the, the left freaked out at him and attacked him in the most vicious way. They had on Twitter for hours after the speech. Remember, Twitter's all about making sure there's no hate and making sure that, you know, there's there's basic respect on the platform. Hashtag Uncle Tim. We all know the reference they were making. Hashtag Uncle Tim was trending on Twitter for hours after the speech. Now, Twitter let that trend did not shut that down. But it's just a reminder as well that Democrats don't understand the the racist mentality of thinking that people have to demanding that people have to hold certain beliefs and approach life and approach the world in a certain way because of skin color. That in and of itself is a racist idea, and it is completely mainstream. In fact, it's doctrine for Democrats. Anybody who is black who does not accept the narrative of events from the Democrat Party about race is either you know betraying their own race that's a common one uh they they throw slurs out there what a horrible thing to think or say about someone that because of your skin color you have to say certain things or else but that is the democrat approach as we know and it's all about power i mean does anyone really think nancy pelosi cares a lot about minorities what a laughable proposition right oh yeah Super rich mansion living in in the Bay Area, Nancy Pelosi. She cares so much about the black community. She cares so much about the Latino community. And people say this stuff with a straight face. I mean, not as straight as Nancy's face, a lot of Botox. But you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. Anyway, Tim Scott, here's what he says uh, about his view of the future of this of this country in response to biden's socialism extravaganza last night play 10 our best future will not come from washington schemes or socialist dreams it will come from you the american people black hispanic white and asian republican and democrat brave police officers in black neighborhoods we are not adversaries we are family we are all in this together and we get to live in the greatest country on earth. The country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. I know this isn't our finest hour because we got a Biden administration that's radical that's far left, that doesn't care about what history has shown us when it comes to these policies, doesn't understand or could care less about economic reality and what it means to try to, to build a business, what it means to try to get ahead, to have hard work be uh, 
rewarded by the market instead of having the government picking winners and losers, instead of the government turning on the money gun and just spraying it all around the country to whoever they think it's fair to get it. All these intrusions, all these interdictions, if you will, into into the market on behalf of favored constituencies of the Democrats, enlarging the welfare state and turning this into a mega government. That's really the plan of the Democrats. Because if the COVID situation has shown us anything, it's the government does a great job. Sure. It would be nice if all the stuff that Biden was saying is true. You know, just free stuff for everybody. I wish Santa Claus was real. Wouldn't that be great? I wish Santa Claus was real. Uh, I can't tell you that a guy in a red suit is going to come down your chimney with a whole lot of money printed by the Fed anytime soon. But I can actually get a box of incredible meat delivered right to your home. That's right. It comes packaged, ready to go. You put it right in your freezer. You thaw it out. This is the most delicious meat you're ever going to have. And it just shows up at your door from Moink Box. All right. Moink delivers grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and it goes right to your door. And every time you buy Moink, you're helping family farms stay independent and not have the grip of big agriculture right on them. All right, their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormone sugar, and all the other junk you find in prepackaged stuff in the meat aisle. I am making a moink ribeye this weekend. I can't tell you how excited I am about it. I'm going to just sear it and get all that caramelization because the juices and the marbling of the meat that you get from a moink steak, it's the best you've ever had. I made their roast chicken recently, and I'm telling you it was the best chicken whole chicken i've ever made so you can have it all delivered right to your door this should be the meat that you and your family are eating join the moink movement today go to moinkbox.com slash buck right now and listeners to this show get a free year of ground beef that's one of the best ground beefs i'm telling you, you'll ever taste it's amazing all you have to do is go to this website right now M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash buck. That's moink box dot com slash buck. M-O-I-N-K box dot com slash buck. Why did Mark Kelly mention the fact that Joe Biden didn't talk about solving the border crisis? Because Joe Biden is the crisis. The root cause of our the run on the border is not the Northern Triangle countries. They're no better, no worse than they were when Trump. Uh, they're better, I think, because of Trump. The bottom line is Joe Biden instituted a catch and release. If you come to America, you get released in the country. You never show up to your court date. If you're under 16, you stay here. Word is out all over Central America that Joe Biden is going back to catch and release. And Mark Kelly knows unless you change catch and release and reform asylum, it's never ending. And the reason Biden never mentioned it is because the left won't let him mention it. The root cause of immigration chaos is Joe Biden. Not much talk at all about immigration in the speech last night from Biden, which is unsurprising. I went through it and I'm I'm pretty sure and I I could check. uh, I'm pretty sure that he mentioned the border maybe one time. I mean, the actual border. Right. What was. um, Oh, I'm sorry. Three times in one paragraph, he mentioned the border. Okay. 
and uh, and that's it in the whole speech. That was all. And it just sort of went right past it. How does he recommend we actually secure the border? No idea. All he knows is go back to the old Obama administration talking points about how we need comprehensive, comprehensive immigration reform. That's what we're told. Comprehensive immigration reform. And you say, uh, OK, well, that means amnesty, right? That means amnesty. Yes. Yes, it does. That means that we're we're going to find out. It's going to be such a big surprise. People too. wait. Wait, you mean there's more than 11 million illegal immigrants in the country? You mean it's more like 15 million or 20 million? Well, hold on. But the government said, yeah, I know the government said for a long time. That it was 11 million, that the number stays constant year in and year out. We have 100,000 illegals entering the country a month right now, but somehow it's been 11 million illegal immigrants in America for the last decade plus. Isn't that so strange? Doesn't that seem weird to you? Yeah, certainly seems weird to me. But what is Joe really going to say about the border? How is he really going to explain what's happening? It's the worst it's ever been the most open it's ever been, and it's because of decisions the Biden administration made. And they know that while, you know, 40% of the electorate is just going to vote Democrat no matter what, maybe 45%, those last few percentage points that they need to keep them in power, as we saw the last election was not a, it was not a large number of people that pushed Joe Biden into the W column. In the grand scheme of things, I mean, yeah, they could talk about the popular vote. But if we're looking at this in terms of state by state and the Electoral College, you had about 100,000 people vote a different way in a handful of states. Joe Biden's not president. But yet he has a mandate, a mandate to ignore the other half of the country. So much of what he's doing is exactly that. In fact, one of the areas of uh, Tim Scott's speech that I thought was most important for everyone to hear. I mean, first off, when he says America is not a racist country, that was the most powerful moment of the speech because it's true. Despite what the Democrats are always saying, despite their attitudes about America, their disdain on display constantly about America. um, That what we've seen from the Biden administration is that they just divide and pull us apart. There's such an opportunity in the middle of a pandemic to bring people together and to really make it seem like there's at least an effort or at least some thought to bringing us into the same uh, into the same place, put us in the same boat. But no, that's not what happens. Tim Scott said it well. Play 11. We just heard President Biden's first address to Congress. Our president seems like a good man. His speech was full of good words. But President Biden promised you a specific kind of leadership. He promised to unite a nation, to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. Can there really be any doubt about that? Does anyone feel like this president is is a uniter? I mean, that that was laughable within days of his taking off. It was laughable within within minutes 
What's the first thing he did? Signed incredibly divisive, hyper-partisan executive orders, a whole slew of them on a range of issues, including the Keystone XL pipeline, which he hadn't even talked about. But hey, got to throw a bone to the environmental lobby. Got got to give them their piece, right? They bunch bunch of rich libs in Malibu and the Upper West Side who write checks to environmental concerns. All climate change. Got to give them what they want. And so he did. And so he did. What you're seeing is that we're not actually opposing Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not the problem. Joe Biden is a symptom. He's actually just a a tool, one one cog in the Democrat left socialist machine. And so we have to oppose that. It's the machinery around him, the ideas they're pushing and the ways they do it. That's where our challenge really lies. Because even without Joe Biden, I could tell you this. If it were a President Kamala Harris last night, it would have sounded exactly the same. I mean, sounded maybe a little different, but it would have been the same speech, pushing the same ideas. These Democrat politicians are just representative of the machinery of the left. And that's all that it takes to get what they want done. They know that they have the media and academia and the federal government bureaucracy and Wall Street and the biggest, wealthiest corporations all on their side. So it doesn't really matter. They don't need a great leader. They don't even need an effective leader. They just need someone to carry the torch for the left. And that's right now Joe Biden. I think before the next election, it'll be Kamala Harris. And it will be exactly the same policies, the same ideas, the same socialism, big government, racial identity politics stuff. All of it will be the same. So we have to win this war of ideas because pointing out that Joe Biden is inept. People say he's senile, all this stuff that doesn't it's not going to stop it. I don't think we spent nearly enough time looking at our current spending and asking ourselves if we could could reprioritize some of the ways that we're spending taxpayer money. Let me put it another way, Mr. Mr. President. No person with a, a and even even a casual relationship with the federal budget and or an IQ above a root vegetable believes that every single penny being spent today in the United States government's budget is being spent efficiently. And this just goes to belief. I mean, Senator Kennedy, I understand the point he's making here. But Democrats, you you have to you have to understand they believe that government spending is inherently a good thing. It's a good activity. Now, there'll be sometimes, you know, oh, they're giving money to Wall Street fat cats or something. Well, they'll complain about it. But in general, they always think there should be more spending. It's like a psychological condition. It's it's never enough money that the government is deciding to spend. And it's just a question of what they can get away with politically before people start to say, hold, hold on a second, that's that's sound a little bit too much. But how could we even believe that there's a limitation on what the Democrats have in mind here when they're willing to spend six trillion dollars of money in addition to what we're already seeing? in the federal budget.
That's what they want to do. And they can use reconciliation for changes to the tax code, and they can use uh, parliamentary maneuvers, and, and they'll just do whatever they can to get this stuff done. And you know the way that they'll frame it all. They'll do exactly what they did with the American Rescue Package. You know, $1.8 trillion, 5% of it for, for actual COVID stuff, and then the rest is whatever they want to spend money on. You know, it's at the point now where you have to go to the very baseline level of understanding about these things to start to force the Democrats to reckon with reality. So, for example, when we talk about the border, I'll say, okay, let's start from this proposition. Because they'll say, what about the children? What about the families? What about, you know, what about the dreamers? All right. Who doesn't get to stay in America? Right. That comes in illegally. Who shouldn't be allowed to stay? You'll notice Democrats get very they, they want to change the subject or whatever, because if the answer is only violent felons and even some Democrats, I would note, don't think that that's the answer. But if the answer is only violent felons, everybody else gets to stay. That's called open borders. So who doesn't get to stay that that refuses to go through the actual legal process of entry and all the rest of it? They won't answer the question. Because they want to have their cake and eat it, too. They want to pretend that we're a society that still has immigration laws that are taken seriously. But they want the the feeling of being a good guy or a good girl who wants everybody to be able to stay in America. We're a nation of immigrants, all that stuff. Same mentality is at work with the way the government under the Biden administration would spend money. They say, but what about this? More money for this, more money for that. You have to start at the proposition of, okay, how much money is too much? Is there any downside? One of the one of the, the ways that Democrats push all this, one of the ways they get their ideas to become popular is with the false promise of no trade-off, the false promise of no downside. You see this with so many of their policies. Defund the police. Oh, you're being... You know, uh, you're, you're helping racial healing or whatever. That's what Democrats will say. OK, but when you defund police, there are fewer law enforcement officers able to do the job of preventing crime and punishing crime. And therefore, people will more people will die. More people will be assaulted. More people will be raped. That's the downside of defunding police. But they won't ever talk about it. They only talk about the upside of feeling like we're writing historical wrongs or dealing with with you know, police brutality or whatever it may be with the border. I've already said that's there's no they do not recognize a downside to illegal immigration. They don't actually see there being anything wrong with it. The only problem is they know that not enough Americans agree with them that they can be honest about that. But they don't see a downside. They they will tell you that illegal immigrants don't compete with Americans for jobs. Illegal immigrants don't uh, commit commit crimes at a rate that is higher than what we want because we don't want any illegal immigrants to be in the country based on the law. Therefore, there shouldn't be any crimes committed because I know they can show statistics that present a uh, relative to the general population in this country, you know, lower level of crime among the illegal immigrant population. But I don't care because the number should be zero. It should be zero crimes committed because people shouldn't be in the country illegally in the first place. But they don't ever talk about downside. They don't ever talk about additional 
And one area where the statistics are very clear is that illegal illegal immigrants have a greater likelihood and as a percentage are are much more uh, much more likely to be dependent upon different forms of state assistance and welfare. And people who say, oh, they don't get it, but that's not true. Yeah, actually, it is true. If they're in a household where there's one person, if you're an illegal immigrant, you're in a household where one person's born in America. Now that's the tether into the United States. There are benefits that come to that household. Also, there, there are any number of state programs that currently take taxpayer dollars and give them. In New York, we're giving 15 grand for COVID relief to illegal immigrants. OK, so I don't want to hear about this. Oh, they don't get benefits. That's a lie. Uh, I'm bringing this up because on the spending issue, too, we're now at the point where we have to have a serious conversation how much is too much? And if Democrats like Joe Biden, if if this socialist Santa Claus doesn't actually have an answer to that question, then we have to stop and say, well, hold on a minute. What is the value of our money? What is happening to our currency? You know, if I say six trillion dollars, that sounds like a lot of money. And they say it's investments. It's investments, which is that's the favorite Democrat word. That's their favorite word for uh, we're going to take money from some people and give it to other people based on what we want to do, based on government whim. They say we're investing in the future. Okay, if six trillion dollars isn't a lot of money, why don't we just make it 60? Think about all the infrastructure we could build. Think about all the and I know I'll remember this, folks, and I haven't forgotten. We'll be talking more about this. Trump was talking about infrastructure, too. Remember that first year infrastructure talking about a trillion dollar infrastructure package, public private partnerships, that sort of thing. But didn't get it done. Democrats, unfortunately, have a more ruthless and uh, maniacal streak when it comes to pursuing the aims of the left. I mean, they're they're just and, and maybe I shouldn't even put it that way. Democrats actually try to get the stuff done that they say they're going to get done. Republicans get voted in promising to do certain things and then they wimp out. Democrats go for it. Um, but why why only limit it to six trillion dollars? Why not go all the way? Why not make it 10 trillion or 15 trillion or whatever? Most Democrats you talk to about this would not have a ready answer for you. Because the moment they start to say the moment they admit that there is a trade off, that government spending crowds out private spending, lowers growth, lowers opportunity, government's inefficient. The moment that you start looking at that list of the trade-offs, Santa Claus, all of a sudden, you realize he's bringing you presents, but he bought it all with your credit card. That's the reality of what we see here. That's the reality of what's happening. It's the taxpayer's credit card that Santa's using to get the bag of goodies that he's then giving out only to certain kids, not to everybody. And this is where we have a a fundamental disconnect in just view of government and in the American psyche between those who think that more spending and bigger government is better and those who want the government to do less and leave us alone. I'm definitely worried about the economy, and I feel like the only way that there'll be a reckoning for this Biden administration is if we hit a, a major economic reckoning, if there's a, a real downturn that happens. But that may be a ways off. And given all the cash sloshing around because of the Fed, there's definitely going to be some real upside in the market in the months ahead. You just got to know where to be.
You got to know what stocks to be in. For all of you who are managing your own accounts, who are doing some trading and trying to build your wealth, you need to know about my friends at Carnivore Trading. All right, They have spotted several key indicators, and they think that the biggest profits are still yet to come in some very important Wall Street sectors, despite the big bull market we've already been through. Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades they're making for their elite clients. You can mirror their trades with your discount broker or pass. But why would you pass when their trades routinely crush the S&P 500? And they guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. Five times your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades. The market looks to be on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror Carnivore's trades. Right now, you'll get two weeks of this service for free just by visiting GetOurTrades. That's GetOurTrades.com. Use promo code BUCK. The website is GetOurTrades.com. Promo code BUCK. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Our friend Ned Ryan in the mix. He is the founder of American Majority, knows the political scene backwards and forwards, and always has insights worth hearing. Ned, great to have you. Yeah, no, great to be back with you, Buck. So just give me your your top line here. We we had the Biden speech. If you were able to stay awake through it and stomach the whole thing, <laughs> congratulations to you. What did you make of it? You know, I had a couple thoughts. Obviously, my first reaction was sitting there watching and, and him talking about $6 trillion in spending and all of these, really all of these plans to re-engineer America, my, my reaction was, you have no mandate. I mean, literally, I mean, one of my first initial thoughts was, Buck, this guy has no mandate. He barely won this election, a highly suspicious election, by the way, in which it really came down to 42,000 votes between Arizona, uh, Wisconsin, and Georgia to decide those 37 electoral votes. So please don't act like you have some mandate to completely wholesale re-engineer America. And I thought that was the interesting thing just sitting there too. I mean, the big selling point in a lot of ways was, hey, let's have Joe Biden, the moderate, return to normalcy presidency. And the first 100 days has been anything but that. I mean, it's been a agenda that's so radical, it's to the left of what Obama even tried. So, I mean, that was some of my initial reaction, just this guy has no mandate, he's pushing an agenda that's far to the left of what Obama ever tried. And oh, by the way, it's an imperial presidency. He signed over 60 executive orders in the first 100 days. So I will say this. I, I, I've, I've said this on TV. I've said it in op-eds. Joe Biden is an empty husk. He is merely a Trojan horse for the advancement of a far-left agenda. And uh, whoever's really calling the shots inside the Biden administration is, is taking the opportunity to try and push a far-left agenda. And uh, I hope that it fails miserably. Do you think that Obama is behind the scenes pushing on some of the on some of the bigger decisions that are coming out of the Biden Oval Office? I, I do. I, I mean, I think Obama and Valerie Jarrett, uh, some of those players are, are having a undue influence over what I've, I've, I've called the third Obama term. No, I, I think there's a lot of people that are having a lot of influence and you're dealing with a very frail, um, weak uh, Joe Biden. So, yeah, no, I do think that Obama and Valerie Jarrett and others are having a serious influence on on some of the far left agenda and, and really seeing this as an opportunity to push that. And, and again, I'll say this. I mean, I, I'm fully convinced that Biden will not last a first term. Uh, and, you know, then you have Kamala Harris and then, then it gets even crazier. 
Now, we're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. I want to get back to that Kamala point in a second, but there's what Biden says that obviously appeals to the Democrat left-wing base, right, when he talks about right. assault rifle bans and all these things. And, and I don't think that even the Democrats believe that's likely to happen, let's say, in the next 12 months as we get into this next midterm election cycle. What do you think they will actually be able to do? of the things that Biden outlined? I, I think that's a really good question, Buck, because Joe Manchin has already expressed concern about some of this spending. And again, not the greatest place to be in when Joe Manchin is your backstop to prevent some of the madness, but he's held firm on you know the legislative filibuster front. He's already expressed concern. And, and you know, I thought what was telling last night, Buck, was when you had David Axelrod on CNN going after Biden on the fact that he really didn't have any, he barely mentioned immigration. I think he spent three minutes on it, had no solutions for the serious border crisis, and you had David Axelrod blowing him up. Then on the budget, on the spending, John Kasich on Aaron Burnett is blowing up Biden going, in what world are we going to pay for this $6 trillion? It seems really nice up front, free, you know, pre-K, free college, free this, free that. At some point, Six trillion in spending. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. This makes no sense at all. This is this is both both those things were happening on CNN. So I think that there's real questions about a, you know, are people really going? Are they that sold on it? And then how do you actually get it through in a narrowly divided House and Senate in which Joe Manchin and I, I'm pretty sure there are going to be a couple other Democrats going. This is insanity. I don't know how we pay for this. So it's one thing to say it. Uh, in, in whatever that speech was last night. It's not really a state of the union, but it's another thing to actually accomplish it. So, uh, accomplish it. so I'm not fully convinced, despite everything that he was talking about, how much of it will really be accomplished this year. And we all know if you don't get something through in the first year, you get into a midterm year, all these guys, the, the members of the House, members of the Senate, start thinking about their reelect and how aggressive do I really want to get on that legislative agenda uh, and then have to face the voters in the fall of 2022. So, I think there's strong question marks about how much of it will really be accomplished. Ned, you heard him talk briefly about immigration, right? That was kind of thrown in there, really almost right. nothing about the border. Um, and as I think you, you know, I talked to you about it. I just got back from the border right. from last week. It's a, it's a total mess, and it is open, and everyone who works on it says it's open. Uh, there are you know very minimal um hurdles to somebody coming into the country illegally and their border patrols completely overwhelmed. Do, do you think that the why why would Democrats return to the comprehensive immigration reform framework now that didn't work under the Obama administration? Do you think that they believe the political wins with this are now in their favor or are they just is, is this more talk when the real focus is just going to be on the spending and the infrastructure? Well, I think. Obviously, there's a lot of people benefiting off this broken immigration system. I mean, Democrats for political power, and let's face it, Chamber of Commerce type Republicans for cheap labor. No, no, the broken system really, a lot of people are very happy with where it's at, no matter how disastrous it is. I think the thing that struck me in regards to that, right, he barely deals with immigration, doesn't mention how he's going to fix the border crisis, doesn't even really mention it. Goes, America's an idea. No, it's not. We are a sovereign nation. Sovereign nations have borders that are enforced, and if we do not have enforced borders, we cease to be a sovereign nation, which is kind of what the un-American far left, which has taken over the Democratic Party, ultimately wants to see, right? So it's it, it's all convenient for a lot of people. Some people want to see it happen, and let's face a lot of the donor class, chamber of commerce types inside the Republican Party 
they're really good with where we're at right now, right? Get them, get us our cheap labor, and uh, we're t- we're perfectly fine with the situation. All the while, the American people are being abused by what's taking place and having to fund uh, everything that's taking place. It's it's insanity, but it does tell you. I don't think I don't think we're going to see any serious immigration or border enforcement anytime soon until after the 2022 elections. And even then, it's a question mark until you get a Republican back in the White House who actually believes that it's a crisis that needs to be dealt with. We're speaking to Ned Ryan, founder of American Majority. Ned, what should the Republican counter messaging be? I keep asking this because it feels like, look, Tim Scott did a nice job in the rebuttal. That's always a tough job. You know, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it's not easy to speak in response to a president and feel like you're a little bit you know, overshadowed just by the size of the office and the platform. Tip Scott did a great job. I love that he said America's not yeah. a racist country just because it's true, one, and two, liberals completely lose their minds uh, when when anybody who Clearly. comes, when, when, when an African-American, a prominent Republican African-American like Tim Scott says that, it, it just their heads all explode. Um, but what should the broader messaging be in response to this? Because here, my worry is that we keep saying socialism, 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 and that doesn't seem to really resonate enough to make Democrats think twice about this stuff. No, I, I mean, my, my response in hearing a lot of this stuff is, and again, I hear the tired old, well, that's not constitutional, all oh, that socialism. How about we just start, start talking about an agenda that benefits the American people? Immigra- the immigration system does not benefit the American people. The trade uh, situation does not favor the American people. We are going to actually talk about Americanism. I mean, this is one of the things I've been talking about for the last 10 years, and Donald Trump finally stands up and goes, I don't accept the premise of any of this. Our system in D.C. is so broken, the swamp, it's not serving the American people. How about Republicans go, you know what, we're not going to listen to the donor class. We're not going to listen to the corporate, you know, the corporate interests. We're actually going to go out and say we actually want to see a system that benefits the American people in a government supposedly of, by, and for the American people in which the American people are an afterthought. I mean, come on, guys. This is, not, this is common sense. Why don't you just actually take approach in which we say everything that we're going to do is for the benefit of the American people to actually promote their interests, get them jobs, get them good wages, get these small businesses back on track and, and, and really half the engine of the American economy, small businesses. This is not rocket science, and yet there's so much, there's so much conflicted interest inside of the Republican Party. Until they get past these conflicts of not being able to deal with the corporate interests, not being able to deal decisively with big tech, all of these things – I, I don't know if they're ever going to have a clear, concise message to the American people. How's, that's the magic of Donald Trump. Screw it. This is what this is what needs to take place. This is what needs to be done. That's why the American people loved him. And, you know, my hope is that he runs again in 2024. You think he's going to? I mean, I know you're plugged in. You know those folks. He gave an interview I, recently on Fox where he said he's thinking about it. OK, I mean, of course he's thinking about it. But where where do you think the winds are blowing right now on that one? I have people inside that are swear up and down he's running again. And then I have people that have uncertainties and say it's a 50-50 proposition. I have to tell you, I do think, and I know I've told, it, told you this before, I think the 2022 midterms are going to be a bellwether for him, right? I think he's probably going to say, hey, I'm going to do the best I can in 2022, have a massive impact. If he has that massive impact, which I think he will, I think that that paves the way for him to run again in 2024, so I, I think there is a real part of him that wants to, especially when he's seeing all this idiocy taking place. I know he did almost an hour interview this morning with Maria Bartiromo in just a response to Biden. I think some of this stuff is probably kind of, well, let's face it, eating at him. 
and at some point is going to go, screw this. I got I, I can do this. I can win again. We're going to get the electoral integrity in place that we need to. I can win. I'm going to go for it. So I'm, I'm hopeful that some of this will be a motivating factor and then a massively you know, high win percentage, huge impact on the midterms. He goes, done. We're going for it. That's my hope. Ned, where do you think the the economy is going to head? Because I'm I'm hearing people who say one of, we we could be heading into a difficult situation here, where even with the excess spending, even with the regulation and the the punishing of small business and the assisting of of big business that are are, are corporate donors that have connections in the Biden administration. Because we're going to be coming out of the pandemic, because there's so much cash in the sidelines, the right. Fed is so permissive, there might be a, almost like a halo effect. There might might be a, a, a it'll essentially cover up for the bad ideas of Biden won't be as apparent uh, from an economic standpoint because he has such a wind at his back because we're coming out of a pandemic and the Fed is still playing ball. No, oh, I mean, I, I saw our, our mutual friend Trish Regan saying that the Fed will never raise rates as long as Biden is in the White House. No, I, I think he's going to have a couple factors that you're right are going to mitigate the real impact on the American people. And you're right. I mean, some of these dynamics, I, mean, I saw, was it six, nine percent GDP, whatever it is, like we're going to have a really great year of, of GDP that's going to mask over the fact he's going to destroy future long-term economic growth with you know his talk of raising corporate taxes. Come on. The middle class in America is not an idiot. They're looking at this going, our taxes are going to go up. If any of this actually, God forbid, passes and becomes law, all of this six trillion crazy madness, we're going to be paying for this. The middle class knows that. So I think in the short term, it will gloss over. It will put a veneer of like, hey, sunshine and roses, it's all good. But the long-term economic impact, at some point, the if any of this, God forbid, gets into law, there's going to be a massive, brutal reckoning uh, with the American economy and the American taxpayer in which they go, oh, my gosh, this is this is awful. So, yeah, I'm afraid the short term is not going to be nearly as apparent to the American people. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Ned, before we let you go, the fight against big tech, do we have any any movement to speak of on that and anything you know, I, I keep getting I keep getting dinged and throttled and, you know, I, it's a constant war just to speak the truth out there. Big tech is clearly a Democrat province and they're enforcing their will on Biden's behalf at every opportunity. Are, are we making any headway? I, I, again, Ron DeSantis making headway. But I said this on Tucker not last week, but the week before. The only way that we're going to see real movement against big tech is when Republicans and conservatives, quite frankly, get righteous on the issue and realize, hey, we are dealing with monopolies. It's a Republican tradition to break up monopolies. These guys are censoring free speech. They're censoring the, the free flow of information. And I, I told Tucker, and I'll say it again, it's, come, it's become a litmus test for me. If you do not look at big tech as, you know, do you reject Satan and all of his evil works? And I mean this. Like, do you reject the censorship of speech, the censorship of the flow of information, you're meddling with elections, Zuckerberg Center for Tech and Civic Life and, and everything that he did in the 2020 elections. If you don't do that, then I have real questions as to whether I want to support you. It is an absolute for me. And so you're seeing DeSantis, you're seeing some of these governors. But I will say this, Buck, I don't think you're going to see any movement in D.C. In, in, in the next few years. I think any real reform on the tech is going to take place at the state level with Ron DeSantis and hopefully the 26 other Republican governors following suit. So – 
Fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. But real reform on tech is going to take place at the state level in the short term. Ned Ryan, the man himself, founder of American Majority. Ned, my man, good to have you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. He wants control of your life. He's going to control how much meat you can eat. Can you imagine that? And think of this. If he really wanted to unite us, why didn't he congratulate Operation Warp Speed, all the Americans who worked on that, that brought that vaccine? that he was able to take before he was ever to be sworn in. The idea of a goal of 100 million, that was the goal we already had prior and we're going to meet. Okay, so let's get into this one because you mess with my meat consumption and you get an angry buckster. We know that much. All right, so they're running fact checks on this one now. Uh, you know, seeing it in other places. So let's, let's look into their fact check. All right, they're saying the Daily Mail distorted this. The sorry saga began, they write, on Thursday when Biden, this is last week, Biden pledged at a virtual climate summit the U.S. will cut its greenhouse gas emissions by 50% compared to 2005 levels. Biden and the White House briefly outlined a variety of measures that would help from improving vehicle efficiency to retrofitting buildings, uh, etc. There was nothing in the papers that r- relate to Americans' diets, but... The Daily Mail ran a headline that said Biden's climate plan could limit you to eat just one burger a month. The article went on to say that although Biden hasn't yet released the details of his plans, Americans may have to cut their uh, red meat consumption by a whopping 90 percent. Where did the Daily Mail get those numbers? An academic paper uh, above uh, an academic paper. um, But it wasn't about mandatory restrictions. The paper found that if Americans made a 50% cut to their consumption of animal-based foods and 90% cut to their consumption of beef, uh, there would be a 51% reduction in diet-related U.S. greenhouse gas emissions between 2016 and 2030. Uh, So, look, you know, they want us to reduce all these emissions. Greenhouse gas emissions from cows and from meat uh, are, are a major source. And so people are saying, well, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to cut back on your meat. Other people have said this. OK, just to be clear, Gates uh, has has said uh, Bill Gates, who is you know more powerful than Joe Biden in a lot of ways. He says they should switch to 100 percent synthetic beef. OK, that was just a couple of months ago. So this isn't some crazy idea that no one's ever thought of before. The left is pushing this, but. You know, is is Biden saying one hamburger a month? No, that's not really what he's saying. But are we going to have to cut back on beef consumption? Uh, If we're going to meet this, then yeah. And Bill Gates straight up says it. And I'm just going to tell you this right now. No way. No libs. Sorry. You can't cut back on my meat. I want my steaks, my chops, my bacon, all of it. And this is where the absurdity of the Green New Deal and some of these other environmental wacko policies comes to the forefront. They're crazy, folks. You know, establishing a will or trust gives you and your family peace of mind. It specifies how you'd like to be cared for, prevents legal issues, and provides for loved ones. Thanks to the estate planning experts at trustandwill.com, it's easier than ever. I know you got a lot on your plate these days, a lot to do. You're you know, buying homes, having babies, trying to build wealth and security for your family. But if you're going to secure your family's future, you've got to add establishing a will or trust to that to-do list. And it's never been easier. Just go to trustandwill.com. Go to that website. You can set up an estate plan. It's simple, 
convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, that's right, just $39, you can nominate guardians for your children, determine who gets your stuff, and plan for future medical care all from the comfort of your home. And with live customer support seven days a week, TrustandWill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have while setting up your plan. I've been on the site and taken their quiz just to get me dialed in for exactly how this process goes. It's so straightforward and easy. They make it the most simple thing possible. Just go right now. Gain peace of mind at trustandwill.com slash buck. That's right. Go to that site, trustandwill.com slash buck, and you'll get 10% off plus free shipping of your customized legal documents. Don't wait. Take care of this now. This is really important. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your actual documents at trustandwill.com slash buck. Are Americans who are vaccinated essentially living by the same rules in public indoor spaces right now as those who are unvaccinated? First, let me just say, we know this is tiring and exhausting and people are sick and tired of wearing masks and they're sick and tired of having restrictions and not seeing their friends and not having big barbecues and going to concerts. I am too. The good news about the CDC announcement this week is that I can go to the park with my kids and not wear a mask outside. I can go for a run and not wear a mask outside. That is a step forward. It may not be as far forward as everybody wants to see. We understand that. But we still believe that the CDC guidelines, leading with medical experts, health experts, can give the American people confidence that what the CDC is saying is is telling them what is safe. And it may be not be at the pace, but they're going to continue to consider what's possible. And they're going to continue to put out updated guidelines on a range of uh, restrictions, easing them as the pandemic gets more and more under control. You do really need conservative Americans who are disproportionately skeptical of this vaccine to take Mm -hmm. it. Do you need Donald Trump's help here? (laughs) Well, we'd welcome any prominent official uh, to be out there saying the vaccine is effective, that is how to save lives. And I will tell you, every other living president has been a part of that effort. So if former President Trump wants to do that, we'd welcome that. Not fast enough, sucky. Sucky bomb. Not fast enough. And the CDC, we've all seen now. If you've been paying attention, you're well aware of the fact that the CDC is a bureaucratic monstrosity of idiocy at the top level. That the things that they've been saying, their guidance is contradictory. It is not rooted in reasonable interpretation of scientific data. It is all part of the panic porn absurdity of Fauciism and the arbitrary and idiotic restrictions they push are somehow never supposed to be thought of. We're never supposed to weigh this in our minds when we're considering whether we're going to listen to these jokers or not. Oh, forget about the fact they've been wrong. Oh, forget about the fact that that made no sense. Remember, Other countries, European countries, for example, some of which were hit very badly by COVID, never closed schools. A number of them never closed their schools. And we've known all along that children were at very low risk and very unlikely to transmit. But because the CDC is full of cowardly bureaucrats who are all Democrats, they're all Biden voters. We understand that, right? You're not allowed to be right wing and work for a a federal health bureaucracy. At least you better keep it to yourself if you do. And so this is what we get. Our response to COVID, the the question you have to ask, and I know this will never be able to be proven 
So people will fight this forever. But I just put this out there to you to think about. How different would it really have been? How different would the situation really have been if, in fact, we had had no lockdowns and no government restrictions? That's not to say people would not have taken their own precautions. People could have masked up if they wanted to. But the absence of lockdowns and mandates... How much worse would it really have been? Think about that for a moment. Well, we're at almost uh, get coming on 600,000 dead from COVID as it is. So so what we're what are we really to believe that and, and look at the number of in fact, more importantly, the number of, of deaths to get a sense of the spread of the pandemic is really the overall number of infections. Right. The overall number of infections is what you want to know if you're looking at the policies and whether they work to stop the spread. Remember, we're going to stop the spread. Does anyone think that worked? Where did that work? Show me the place in America where mitigation measures stopped COVID-19. There is not one place in this country you can point to and say, yeah, they stopped it. So then you have to you have to shift your thinking to which places made things much worse than they needed to be because they bought into the Fauciite consensus about masks and mitigation and lockdowns and all this stuff. There are plenty of places you could point to with that. Right? And, and the states that had the worst response to COVID were overwhelmingly Democrat states. There were a handful of states that had pretty bad numbers. South Dakota, actually, which is Nome state, uh, had a pretty bad response to COVID by percent by uh, per capita by the percentages, uh, but the worst states by far were New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Massachusetts, California. These were places that just got crushed. A couple of red states are up there too. Mississippi had a had a rough a rough time handling COVID. Same thing with South Dakota, but when and then of course there's Florida, which we're so lucky that we had a control group in a sense here for the lockdown policies, because if, if Florida hadn't stayed open, we would never be able to prove and see clearly how stupid the lockdowns in places like California were. Right. It's not, oh, Florida did great. California did terribly. So, no, it's they were pretty close. Florida's a little better than California. in The numbers Florida didn't lock down. California did. So if it's even close which it is, and actually favors Florida. How could you justify lockdowns? Reasonable, rational people can see this, understand this, and make decisions based upon it. Now, I will say, credit where it's due, Bro Cuomo had Andy Slavitt on his show, who's one of these senior Biden COVID advisor people, and was asking him about why... Why do vaccinated people still have to live in fear? Why do vaccinated people still have to deal with all this? Here's what he said. Play four. Let me just take more, one more swing at this. I still don't understand the sell on the vaccine. Get the vaccine, you won't die. I don't think I am going to die. Uh, get the vaccine, you won't kill somebody else. I don't think I'm going to kill somebody else. Get the vaccine because you will be able to get back to work and to life on your own terms. That's what Trump said. That's what Fauci and everybody else said, that the vaccine is our way through it. These guidelines say, yeah, kind of. 
kind of, but you still can't go yeah. to ball games and do things the way you used to, even if you're vaccinated. I don't understand why you slow walk that part. Yeah, I think we're in the middle of a process. But I think what people want to understand is this. 140 million or so people have gotten vaccine shots, overwhelmingly safe, dramatically good results. Point zero zero five. what they care about. That's what they care about. Point like zero 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 nine people died. Um, You know, that's almost your your standard deviation of randomness. Yeah, right. And for most people... What really matters is there who are have not taken the vaccine yet is, is there a side effect? If there's not, they're confident that, that we will be getting back to normal life. They can see these signals. They can see these signals from the president, from the CDC, what he says about Fourth of July. Uh, notice he won't answer this. He says we're in a process. No, no. Answer the question. Why should people who are vaccinated and have no realistic should have no realistic fear of dying from COVID afterwards. And when you're talking about point zero 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 nine, I mean, give me a break. Right. Why should those people then live their lives? All of them, tens of millions, over 100 million of them now live their lives like they should be worried. This is all about control. The moment that I can walk into a store as a recovered or vaccinated person without a mask on, the whole regime of Fauciite fear falls apart. The moment that private businesses can no longer enforce mask mandates because they've agreed or there's been agreement at the federal level on down that there's no reason for this anymore. Then we're in a different place. But I also want to know why aren't there more? Why aren't there businesses? I think it's because of liability, which is one of my one of the things that drives me so nuts, because I do believe there would be more businesses and stores that would say masks optional right now. I do believe that, but they don't want to get sued. And there are very litigious people out there who would also feel sanctimonious. They would feel self-righteous suing a business that does not require masks because they're anti-maskers. So, you know, screw them. Let's take all their money. Let's sue them into bankruptcy because they're not making everybody wear masks. It's, this is a religious belief for millions of Americans now. This is about much more than just any debate over the epidemiological merits and the success or lack thereof in these mandates stopping COVID. Cuomo, I said, I'll, I'll give some credit here. At least he... he Push the question a little more with Slavit. Why? Okay, you you babbled a bunch of stuff, Slavit. Why do vaccinated people still have to do this? They don't want to say, oh, it's because we got to control all of you. And the mask is a visible manifestation of that control. And so even people for whom there's no medical basis for this have to do it so we can get everyone to do it. That's the real answer, but they won't say it. Play five. But the job isn't to make everybody happy. The job is for them to follow the data, to listen to what the CDC has to say, and they're doing it in a measured way. And I think they're doing a very good job. Look where they've gotten us. They've I'm not us bashing the CDC. I'm trying to help. We have people dying. Dads. I know. I know. I'm that. trying to help. I'm saying here's the I side effect. Here's the side effect of the vaccine that you need to worry about most. Check out Andy. Chris and all their friends in this bar having drinks and laughing their heads off because they're fully vaccinated and you can't be there because you're not. 
You know, that's the side effect yeah. is I, you get to live life more if you have the vaccine. That's why I'm saying, why don't you, unless the science supports it in a way that I haven't seen from you guys, why put any restraints on the vaccinated? Well, let me roll it up this way. Everything you do is safer if you're vaccinated. Everything. Go to a wedding, go to a restaurant, um, hang out with friends, go to a barbecue, go to work. Everything you do is it much, much safer if you've been vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated, those things are still dangerous. And that is, I think, the overarching point. Forget about the steps, because we'll be there, you know, one week will be this step, next week will be another step. But the fundamental point is we are going to get back to normal and it's going to be normal for people who've been vaccinated and it's going to be more risky for people who are not. And that's the message that I hope people hear. Yeah. So about that, you believe this is the just two weeks to slow the spread, people. You believe that they're going to just start moving along at a reasonable pace here with the end of these restrictions? Do you believe that the Democrat apparatus of control and the politicization of all this is going to release all of us from the grip of using COVID as this as this club to bludgeon us all into submission so that they can get whatever they want done? Why do you think Biden's talking about spending $6 trillion? Everyone's so scared and everyone's so worked up about COVID and lockdowns and everything all the time that it's hard for us to even think about the long-term economic implications of a Democrat spending plan like this. It's hard for us to even wrap our minds around it. That's all a part of this as well. That That's all, it should be factored into this, um, the, the political control that is so essential to Democrats on this. Um, I'm happy that there are some, uh, there are some Democrats uh, that are out there. This is Dr. Wen, who was the head of Planned Parenthood. So, yeah, I know. But here she is saying, get vaccinated. You have your freedom. Play 19. I think, though, that the approach that Dr. Fauci and President Biden have been taking is a societal approach. They're saying there is the light at the end of the tunnel for all of us together. And when we can reduce the level of infection in the community, increase vaccination rates, that's when at some point, hopefully soon, but at some point we can relax the restrictions. I don't know if that works for many Americans. For many people, it probably does work to say, yes, we're in this together. It's patriotic. We're doing this together. But I think a lot of people are thinking kind of selfishly, thinking what's in it for me. And they're not willing to wait until this elusive herd immunity. If we can tell those individuals who otherwise would not get vaccinated, if we say to them, the moment of freedom for you is when you get vaccinated, when you reach the two-week mark, these are people who otherwise might not be vaccinated. So let's give them that incentive. What she's saying is true, except the Democrats know that a lot of people, they don't have vaccine passports in place, right? So a lot of people just skip the step of getting vaccinated and live their lives normally. But they won't say that. They won't say that. And that's where we are. I'll take a mulligan on this one. I, I meant to bring this up. The, the most troubling, and I wrote about this at BuckSexton.com um, on Biden's State of the Delusion speech. Uh, so please go to BuckSaxon.com and check it out. But the, the most troubling stuff that Biden said had to do with, well, as you know, pushing this narrative of the, the constant threat, the constant specter of white supremacy and the white supremacist terrorism and all this, this the, the hyperventilating about this exaggerated threat and also the exaggeration of what happened on January 6th, the riot on January 6th. They keep calling it an insurrection. It wasn't an insurrection. Blake Lip 2. 
The threat has evolved way beyond Afghanistan. Those of you in the intelligence committees, the foreign relations committee, defense committees, you know well we have to remain vigilant against the threats to the United States wherever they come from. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are in Yemen, Syria, Somalia, other places in Africa, the Middle East, and beyond. And we won't ignore what our intelligence agencies have determined to be the most lethal terrorist threat to the homeland today. White supremacy is terrorism. We're not going to ignore that either. My fellow Americans, look, we have to come together to heal the soul of this nation. We have to come together to heal the soul of this nation by listening to the intelligence community saying that white supremacy is the biggest terror threat in America, really? And they say this, and they'll say, oh, look at the experts, look at the experts. Okay, I, I used to be one of the experts on terrorism. I did this for a living at the highest level of the federal bureaucracy, at least. And this notion that we're all supposed to be so afraid of what exactly? Uh, what, what's going to happen? When you see the way they calculate this, what they do is essentially any murder by somebody they believe is, a, is uh, could be classified as a hate crime. That's considered white supremacist terrorism. Uh, when the, the actual numbers and metrics of this, you break it down, you'd say, well, hold, hold on a second. I mean, you're comparing jihadist terrorism with white supremacist terrorism, for example. What percentage of America falls under the broad rubric of white? A lot. What percentage of America would be uh, fundamentalist Islamic uh, people? And, and it's a much, much smaller percentage. And yet we compare these things as though, well, if one is just a little ahead of the other, that's the bigger threat. But you say, well, is it an existential threat? Is it a strategic threat or is it a criminal threat that's being turned into something else? Biden, first of all, our intel community is a joke these days, and we all know it. What are some of the areas of GOP doctrine that should get a, a second look these days? Where are some of the places where populism should replace the think tankerism of the Chamber of Commerce and big corporate interests on the right? We'll get into this and more with our friend right now, Ryan Gerdusky. He's the author of the book. They're not listening how the elites created the national populist revolution, and he is a political consultant. Brian, always good to have you, buddy. Thank you for having me. Let's just your I got to ask all, all the people whose opinions on this I respect when I get a chance to chat with them about it last night for Biden. I mean, are we seeing a, a preview of things to come or is this just a lot of a lot of nonsense? I mean, it was a fine speech. It was, I mean, as far as it was delivered, it, it got, you know, well, well liked. It was very partisan in its nature. Most of the audience watching it was partisan. That tends to be the case in the States of the Union. Um, it was fine. He didn't, I think, I mean, he did say, which was egregious, that uh, that January 6th was a worse attack on our democracy than 9-11. That is insane. Uh, than, than any, sorry, than anything since the Civil War, the Kennedy assassination, 9-11, uh, Pearl Harbor, no, January 6th was the worst since the Civil War, which is literally liberal lunacy. Um, but other than that, it was a fine speech. It wasn't anything out of out of control. Um, but after the whole thing where he was saying we should do this and we should do that, we should do this, we should do that, I just looked at myself and said, none of this is actually happening. It wasn't really a state of where our country is um, or recognize, I think, the major threats to it. He kind of had this entire 
uh, soliloquy towards everything, climate change, workers. And he had a couple of good moments where he said the middle class built America and unions built the middle class. That is total catnip for, for you know traditional Democrats like himself. Um, and that companies should pay their fair share. I think that was a good moment. Um, but, you know, he spent a large part of the speech doing things like talking about trickle-down economics, but he didn't mention one time the school's not being reopened. So I don't think that he, I, I genuinely believe it was like his grasp on what is going on for people in this country is not as sound as what I thought it would be. Now, I, I want to get, I want to drill down a little bit here into something that, that you and, and some others uh, we will bring up publicly, whether on, on Twitter or just in, in general in discourse about what should be going on on the right. The 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 lingering mentality of I guess you could call it traditionalist GOP approach is any tax raise is bad. Tax raise is bad all the time. But corporations are now Democrat fiefdoms, right? Corporations, the big ones, Google, Amazon, Facebook, uh, you know, you go down this list of what companies really American Express, Delta Airlines. These are all woke and increasingly left wing in their politics, even if they're engaged in capitalism and making massive profits. So so I, I wanted your sense on what is, what should the populist GOP approach be to taxing corporations? Because, you yeah, know, there's this joint, knee jerk like, oh, that's always bad. Is it that joint address was sponsored by the military industrial complex, Wall Street, Google, Apple, big tech, Silicon Valley and Hollywood. And he, uh, Biden said, President Biden was like, there's 55 companies that I would like to tax that are around tax loopholes. Yeah, tax them. They probably all campaigned and donated to Biden big time. I mean, most of these corporations did. You want to close the loopholes on this on Warren Buffett? Fine. Close them on hedge fund managers. Close them. They're all Democrats. Screw them. I mean, what what do we care they're not going to help middle America. You want to sit there? I'll, I'll, I'll one up you. Let's start taxing data. I mean, let's make data an actual, you know, entity that we tax and let that will actually hit Amazon and Google and Facebook and Silicon Valley. I mean, just, just absolutely go above and beyond. Why, why stand in the way between a Democrat wanting to tax his donor at this point? Honestly, what is the problem? There are ways that we could sit there and do it where we're not going to affect mom and pop businesses. We could put limitations on amount of employees if it's under 500 employees or if it's under a hundred million dollars and stuff. If somebody's personal profits are 50 million dollars a year, up their taxes to 40 percent because most likely they're going to be a Democrat. At this point in America, they will be a Hollywood actor, they will be a Silicon Valley CEO, or they'll be a CEO for an, or for a company that sits there and, and and that pushes Democrat policies. See, this so, is. I- and this is go ahead, Ryan. This is important for people no, no, here so because we're all just. Uh, no, and, and you know what? And if you were to use that same amount of uh, funds to sit there and to cut taxes for the middle class or create a fund for people who want to have more children, whatever the case is, yeah, redirect those funds. N- not all. There's an old old expression: not all money is good money. It's not. It's not a. And and not all. And, and not all capitalists are you know free marketeers and would support it. So they listen. Mark, Karl Marx always said. The capitalists will sell us the rope that we hang them with. And this is and, and Republicans are in that mindset where they, they are willing to honestly sell the rope that we are being hang, hung as a country with to to Democratic Socialists. So if the people who are fueling that, who, the people who are organizing them, who are funding them, if they're asking me tax more, need, need, you know, I'm not going to be the one to sit there and stand in the way. 
go ahead. Let them have it. Let them have every. I mean, let them have. Let them sit there and not be able to, you know, buy into a private uh, gated community. But why should I stand in the way from from these wealthy people who give to Chuck Schumer and AOC and Governor Cuomo and and and, and Joe Biden? Why should I be the one to stand in the way? No, tax them. And we could figure out ways to sit there and protect the middle class. We could figure out ways to sit there and protect, you know, small business owners who are millionaires, but they're not excessive millionaires. They're not maybe about three or four million dollars, which is not, you know, a lot, a lot of money in the grand scheme of things today. Um, uh, no, I, I, I say just tax them. We're speaking to Ryan Gerdusky. He's the author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. You know, Ryan, our, our mutual friend Pedro Gonzalez shared an interesting thought in response uh, to the address last night and and it was how trump came in in year one and this is true i mean this is just a a recitation of important facts to remember came in year one and there was talk of a trillion dollar trump infrastructure bill which i think people have completely forgotten about now Now that's different than you know six trillion of spending and all that and obviously there's a lot of different ways the money would be spent but he was talking about an infrastructure package instead we got Corporate tax cuts. That's actually what happened. You know, I have so I have on my I have a sub stack called the National Populist Newsletter and I do it they do a long essay forum once a month. And my essay today was where is the nationalist Paul Ryan? Because Paul Ryan was like semi autistic on the issues of spending and the issues of tax cuts and it's what he spent his entire time doing. And a lot of his policies when Trump finally became president did get through because it's all he focused and talked about relentlessly. Where is the GOP? Where is the nationalist Paul Ryan who does those same things relentlessly? Where is the GOP version of an infrastructure bill? Because America does need infrastructure. We just we do. We I mean, if you have been to parts of this country, it looks like we lost World War II. Um, so we do need an infrastructure. But there is a way to pair infrastructure with doing things like reshoring American businesses, making sure they end up coming to it's not, not only that they leave China and, and go to our allies nations, but they come to our nations and they come to states in our nations who have been on the losing side of free trade for 50 years or for 40 years. How do we, we can create policies that sit there and incentivize those things, but they need somebody to sit there and actually work for them to, to uh, you know, some uh, mastermind and say, no, I want to make sure and I want to change the way the state is working, the way that these people are being affected. Um, uh, Lamar Alexander from Tennessee was the governor of Tennessee. He said, no, I, I want manufacturing to be in Tennessee and Toyota plants moved to Tennessee after while he was governor. He had the incentive and the instinct and, and he had low wages and all the rest of it. But he built an infrastructure around that because he wanted certain things in this one state. We need a leader on the GOP who says, how do I make people's lives in western PA or eastern Ohio or northern Michigan and the eastern side of northern Michigan that have just been in total despair? How do I actually make their lives better? And, you know, the GOP has picked up a lot of the talking points of the working class uh, of Trump. But they we, we you know, everything can't just be raw emotion. It has to be, you know, tactical planning and policymaking. And we don't have somebody yet who's who is able to on a nation on the national level. Certain states have them. But on the national level, we don't have anybody who is able to take those policies and put them in the wind column. And we're waiting for it. It needs to happen. And, yeah, infrastructure is a huge part of that. It does feel like, uh, Ryan, that when when Democrats deploy the talking point of Republicans are the party of no, um, I think that's unfair. That's overly broad. But there is a perception out there that we keep saying, you know, that, for example, we'll return even to ideas like trickle-down economics or we'll return to... Um, you know, every everything a rising tide lifts all boats. Stay out of all this stuff. 
I mean, it, it, it a little bit reminds me of the GOP mentality around dealing with China, where in, in kind of a, a specific way, we were always being told by the by the think tank said and the traditional GOP folks, don't do anything with China. Don't no trade war. Trade wars lead to real wars. There's going to be all kinds of problems. And then the more people learned about this and dug into the issue, they realized, well, we're already in a trade war with China. It's just a one way trade war. They're, they're just the ones engaging in trade war. And we say, hey, that's not good. We don't we don't do that while they're stealing intellectual property and having you know state backed businesses and all, all kinds of manipulations and, and artificial market intrusions from the Chinese Communist Party. It feels a little bit like the GOP has to wake up to the fact that we're not in a totally free market in America. It doesn't exist. There's we don't already- have a free market at all in America. Go build a house. And the minute you could do one thing in that house that is not regulated by the government, give me a phone call. One thing. You can't find it. We don't have a free market. It is the illusion that the right has set up. And we have these constant, like, you know, these constant belief systems where we're like, oh, no, we do things like we love diversity and we love legal immigration, not illegal immigration. It's like, oh, we, we'll, we'll destroy the country. We'll make sure we destroy it legally, not illegally. Let's fight China. Let, let China beat us, you know, the right way. Like, you know, not through currency manipulations, but just taking all of our jobs and sending opioids and, and fentanyl and, and COVID to America. Let, let them beat us the right way. But it's never you never hear someone say, actually, no. And this is only, only Trump is the only one who said this. No. How do we actually win? Because a big part of Trump's message is we just don't win anymore. I mean, Virginia is looking at banning advanced math. Could you imagine China trying to ban advanced math? Yeah, because it's racially uh, unequal in the distribution of who's in these advanced math classes. This is the problem is this is a very we, we have so many serious crises in our country and we have never been a more unserious nation. We truly have never been a more unserious nation. Last night on CNN and MSNBC, after the speech, they said, well, you know, um, Project Warp Speed, that didn't put the, the needle in anyone's arm. And, and it started under Joe Biden. I think a lady on MSNBC said it started under Joe Biden. Um, and CNN was sitting there and saying, or vice versa, and CNN sat there and said um, it didn't actually help with the vaccine. These people, everything is for the political win. They don't actually care about telling truth or honesty or facts. And no one does. Biden's infrastructure plan is a gifts for democratic causes if if the only thing that matters if we have to accept that the only thing that matters is political power which to the left that is the only thing that matters all of the you know beliefs that came with the reagan age need to go out and we need to say how do we win and how do we win on every front and how do we continually win to turn this country around because they don't care about fighting over constitutional truths or market values or historical precedent they don't care. They care about pure political power. And if that's the field that they are playing on, we have to play on that field. We cannot play with, you know, arguing about precedent and historical power and David Frenchism. It just it all has to go by the wayside. We are in a much different age than we were in even 20 years ago. Ryan Gerdusky, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. And, and Ryan, where can people go to get your Substack? Um, uh, it's the National Populist Substack. You can go to my website, ryangerdusky.com, and there is a link there. ryangerdusky.com. All right, Ryan, thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> Our plan is to fully reopen New York City on July 1st. We are mm. ready for stores to open, for businesses to open, offices, theaters, full strength. Because, look, what we're seeing is people have gotten vaccinated in extraordinary numbers, 6.3 million vaccinations in New York City to date. 
Opening up NYC on the 1st of July. I know for a lot of you, you're already far ahead of us with your opening with uh, where you are. Although for our KEIB Los Angeles listeners, for our um, Freedom 93.7 Denver listeners, you know, you're, you're still in some form of lockdown from what I understand. I know L.A. is and uh, you're probably going to be out of it. I think they're in June. Uh Florida. Yeah, I know Florida. You're all smiling. Our Tampa and Miami listeners, you're all smiling because, you know, you don't have awful state government that shuts you down and you know ruins everything because they're a bunch of idiots. So congratulations, Florida. You actually you won the the governor lottery and uh, the rest of us have, have had to deal with nonsense. But I know this is at the city level. This is Mayor de Blasio. There's the possibility and people are are thinking about it, are bringing it up already, that Cuomo, the governor of New York, amazing that that guy's still the governor. Why is he the governor? Because he does not give in. He does not quit. He does not care. He will not eat green eggs and ham. Uh, he He's not going to leave. So he is still in, in charge of the state of New York. And he may overrule the de Blasio plan at some level here. That is that is possible and extended. I don't think he'll do that, but he's got to stay as in charge as he can in order to keep riding through this whole situation. Right. In, in order to stay in his spot, he's got to be in the center of, of the storm, so to speak. And so I, I'm not sure that he won't. But New York, basically at full reopen in July, I got to tell you, I, I want the masks gone. And I don't think that's going to be a part of this. And I, I'm not letting this go. I want masks gone, gone. By July in New York, everybody has had plenty of time to get the vaccine. You don't want to get the vaccine? Fine. But everyone's had plenty of time to get the vaccine. And so masks come off. That's That's got to be the demand. Because otherwise, this is just going to become, for some people... They're fine with this. They're just they're thinking this is normal now. You know, you just walk around with a face diaper on all the time. That's fine. They, you know, they they it's like a security blanket for them. It's become a a tool for you know managing the anxiety that they're creating by walking around thinking they need to have a mask on all the time. So th- this fight is, I think is is not over. Look, you know, more, more than anything else. For me, I mean, the most the most annoying, unless you own a small business, unless your business has been directly affected uh, by this, which I know is true for millions and millions of people across the country. But if you've been able to do remote work, if you've been able to uh, continue on with your job, the most oppressive thing in many ways is the mask mandate. That's the thing that's with you all the time. That's the thing that you know. You go into the store. You got. I mean, I got to walk around every pair of pants I have now has in the back pocket, I carry, you know, some little stupid surgical mask around. And I'm not the only one, I'm sure. Some of them are getting reused a bunch of times. And, you know, because it's like, yeah, I'll put on a fresh one when I remember. But if I'm out and I got to go into a store, I just reach in the back pocket. I pull out the dumbass mask and I, I got to go. In. Remember, I'm, I'm immune, folks. So there's no scientific reason for me. Oh, but I can't walk in. Oh, they don't trust me to, to walk in here. And, uh it's it's just drive it's just driving me nuts. It's just driving me nuts. And I think that we're going to be told, "Oh, be so excited. You know, you're reopening in New York." And you know, look, but there's still masks in in Miami. Mask mandates in Miami City, 
This, there's a city mask mandate. There's still mask mandates in Tampa. They're going to cling to those crusty old masks for as long as they can until people finally just say, enough, you loons, enough. But until then, I got to still, you know, choke on my own spittle running on the treadmill as an immune person because people are so scared. All the 25-year-olds around me working out are so scared. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. I got to step into the penalty box for a minute here with producer Mark because I saw just in my in my read in today in the news, I saw a baseball player got hit with a 93 mile an hour fastball. You see this? Uh, I don't think I saw the exact one, but in the game I'm I was watching the Mets, the umpire, the home plate umpire got hit with a foul ball right off the bat of somebody directly into his face. Obviously, he's wearing a face mask or, you know, a, a. a helmet, uh, but he was woozy and could barely walk after it had to be taken out of the game. Oh, no, this one is Philadelphia Phillies star Bryce Harper leaves game after being hit in the face by a 97-mile-per-hour fastball. Ouch. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at video now. I am uh, I'm not a big fan of Harper, but uh, I would never. Wow, win. look at you. Look at you. Uh, you didn't even let me this, finish my sentence. This guy took a no- Okay, go ahead. But I would never wish harm on him. I don't want him to get hurt, so that's that's awful. Okay, there we go. There you, we go. See, but, you can't just call me a bad person without letting me finish the sentence. No, I know, I know. I just I I I I figured your your love for the Mets didn't extend to other players yeah. getting hit in the face with a 97 mile an hour You don't fastball. wish that on any human. That's got to hurt a lot. Uh, yes. There have been players that they get hit in the head. Obviously, it's it's usually by accident. Of course, there's times that it hasn't been. But that they get the yips. They can't get back in the box because they're so afraid of a ball hitting them again. It takes a while to overcome that. Wow. And, and it doesn't that sometimes lead? Isn't there like a whole, you know, they'll kind of throw one high and at the chin. Give I think they call it a little chin music, right? Yes. Where they'll throw one in. And uh, and then it's it's like a like checking somebody really hard in hockey or something, right? It's a little bit of a like, yeah, that's right. Well, it, it's something that a lot of logical people in baseball have been saying for years. Yes, you may not like that something, say the other team shows you up or something, but retaliating by throwing a projectile object at 100 miles per hour at somebody's head probably isn't the best way to retaliate. Yeah, that seems that seems a little severe. You know? That's the way it was uh, in the early days of baseball. They didn't care. So do they differentiate between when someone throws like that, when, when someone throws, the umpire can throw out the pitcher for that, right? So how do they, yes. do they try to tell, can they tell basically if it's on purpose or not? Is that oh, the way they do you, it? You can tell the difference. You know, sometimes a pitch just gets away from you. You know, it happens, you know, you're throwing 100 pitches a game. It'll definitely happen. And then there's times where you know the teams don't like each other. And then something comes up like that, and you warn both benches, and if it happens again, the pitcher's gone. Gotcha. Because I feel like I saw, like, Roger Clemens back in the day hit some people a few times. And he was a big dude, and he would just, like, uh, you know, because I I always see those ESPN clips, uh, you know, that make make their rounds on social media where, like, they'll charge the pitcher, you know? Oh, yeah, bench-clearing brawls. There have been some good ones in the past. And, th- and that's usually over a player getting hit with a pitch, right? Yes, that's- or something like that. You know, they, they can obviously talk to each other, curse at each other, whatever. 
There was actually, we mentioned Roger Clemens in the 2000 World Series, uh, Mets Yankees. It was a Subway Series. Uh, Clemens was facing Mike Piazza. I'm sure you've heard of him. He was uh, one of the yep. better Mets uh, of that era. Uh, he broke his bat. The bat goes up towards Roger Clemens. Clemens threw it at Piazza. He still denies that he was throwing it at Piazza, but he threw it at Piazza. <laughs> Gosh. I, I don't like Roger Clemens. All right. You got to take either a... I don't know who throws the most heat in the Major League Baseball these days. You got to take a fastball into the in, right right into the into the keister, or or a slap shot from whoever's oh. you know. Uh, I don't want to answer this question. They both sound horrible. How fast does a puck with with a slap shot? What do they get? Like 70, 80 miles an hour, probably. What? The fastest ever recorded. I think they do a competition at the All Star Game usually. I think it's one hundred and twelve. Oh, faster than a yeah. fast pitch. I didn't know that. Yeah, it, I mean, Yikes. in game, it's kind of hard to get up to that speed. But if you're just winding up and shooting, yeah. Oh gosh, man! And I guess that's part of. I was some of the guys, the hockey players you'll see back in the day that like lose their front teeth. Hey, you know, you, you catch a. Oh, oh gosh, this is this is. I don't like these sports. I like tennis. Basketball. Buck, hockey goalies used to not wear masks. That's the cra- That's just the craziest yeah. thing ever. The first mask was in like 1940 or something, and they were playing hockey long before that. There is something in the goalie mentality in a lot of sports. You have to be, you're, you're kind of a rare bird to really want to be a goalie. You know, you, yes. you got to just be somebody who likes being target practice <laughs> as i've one. said on this program before hockey goalies are just a little strange well i think it's true a lot it's true it's uh it's true in soccer it's true in a, in a few different yeah sports. but i'd true rather take a, a soccer ball than a puck any day of the week. yeah but see for the goalies it's you the, the thing that they're looking out for is cracking heads with a player um. or catching an elbow right in the face that's the which is not as bad as a puck i'll grant you but you still lacrosse those goalies are insane. They don't wear any padding other than a helmet. Yeah. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, I just saw that. I thought of you. I was like, ooh, 97 mile an hour fastball in the face. This I played a little baseball as a kid. I remember they would say, don't be afraid of the ball. And there was always this part of me that was saying, I think I'm going to be afraid of that ball, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I want to get hit with that. So it is what it is. All right. Let's get into some of our roll call thoughts here. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at I heartmedia.com and uh, let's get to it we have andre uh howdy team buck you spoke about dr f yesterday you're in good standing to mock his all-along declaration we've known the left's inclination to use words in a way that rewrites history hillary duff oh hillary does (laughs) say hillary duff hillary does this quite often when pressed with uncomfortable questions she says Uh, That's old news. That's already been addressed. The left finds the rebranding of we know as true necessary to maintain control of what we know is true. Necessary to maintain control. It's gross. Thanks for being yourself. In my import, in my opinion, it's why you become important to your followers and successful in your endeavors. Thanks. Shields high. Andrew or Andre. God, I'm having real trouble reading today. I don't know what's going on. You are right. Sorry about that, Andre. No, my eyes are okay. I just, you know, I, I do so much content every day that I think the brain just gets overloaded after a while. I just, I just sit here and 
I got Fauci voice and Cuomo voice and all this stuff bouncing around in my head. You know, I got a lot of things going on. Andre, no, I appreciate that. The Democrats are definitely rewriting a lot of history on this stuff. You're going to see so much more of it, too. I mean, let's not forget that if you, if you were to look at a timeline of many of the recommendations, you look at a timeline of a lot of the things the Democrats demanded that they wanted all along, you'd say, well, that makes no sense. You'd say, why would they push for that? Why, why would they make us do that? Exactly. But now they just move on to the next one. Uh, they move on to the next one. You know, in the, in the way we've seen this, it, it's become very apparent that they don't believe they should have any accountability and they don't believe that you should have any say in what you're willing to obey and what you're not. You know, they've taken individual health decisions entirely out of out of the public's hands with all these mandates and, and all this madness. So that's what's going on. Nick Buck, I missed you during your border visit, although Rob did keep me interested. Just wanted to chime in about the crazy lib masks and covid passports. People don't like to be told what to do. Might be a little more willing if they weren't saying you have to do this in order to get your freedom back. Idiots. It depresses me to think where the big guy Joe is taking this country. Congrats on being right on masks and pretty much always. Shields high. Producer Mark is awesome. Producer Mark, what do you think? I agree. I am pretty awesome. There you go. And as for uh, Nick, me being right, yeah, I appreciate that. It wasn't, it wasn't fun. I had people you know, writing me very, people that I know in life, writing me very smarmy messages, oh, you know, your COVID denialism is reckless. I'm like, I'm not, I've never, I've never once even, even hinted at denying COVID. I mean, first of all, as you know, I've had it, but even before then, it's just, that's just a total slander. But people say this stuff because it makes them feel better about their otherwise weak arguments that have nothing to do with the slander they're making against you. You know, people will make, they'll, they'll make these claims and it's very, very frustrating. So... That's just what I, that's where I think it is, friends. Uh, I, I wish there was greater honesty around the COVID lockdown discussion, even to this day. I, I think you're, you're only allowed to take certain positions. You're only allowed to have a certain, certain kind of approach to this. And if you deviate from that, you're, it's not that people want to convince you that you're wrong. They want to attack you. And I know a lot of you have this. You feel this way about vaccines right now. And I, I hear your feedback when you say to me, Buck, why, why are you pro-vaccine? I'm not, I, I don't want anyone to get, you know, mandates for vaccines. I don't want you to get be forced to get a vaccine. Um, you know, the CDC just recently, I think, had some change in the guidance for pregnant women getting the vaccine. And the, the change came over the course of 24 hours. I mean, you know, so so there is stuff to look at that, that any reasonable person would say, hmm, that that deserves a little more explanation or that I, I've got questions about this. I still haven't heard a satisfactory explanation as to why should people who have recovered from covid get the vaccine? We're, we're really supposed to believe that this mRNA vaccine is more effective than the human immune system when actually exposed to the virus. Why the mRNA vaccine is supposed to bring about the response. It trains the body for how to fight covid, but I've had it. So hasn't my body already been trained to fight covid my immune system? I, I have not heard anyone 
explain this effectively. Nobody has has really, and I'm looking for explanations on it, but, you know, I've told you this. They want to get your, oh, but I, they want to get your babies vaccinated. That's going to happen too. They're going to start pushing for that. You know, your one-year-old, your two-year-old. Um, but I'm not pushing it on anybody. When I tell you I think that senior citizens, you know, people who are at higher risk should get it, that's just my opinion, and I leave it to all the people listening to make their own determinations about it. I My own parents are vaccinated. I encourage them to get vaccinated. And all of my family members who are, uh, you know, age 60 and above, I encourage them to get back. So I'm, I'm, you know, talking the talk, walking the walk on that, right? This is one of the reasons why I always say you can tell whether people are serious about something or not based upon their own actions. You know, I would never tell you, oh, I think if you're a senior citizen or I think if your parents are, they should get vaccinated and then not encourage my own family to do that. So I'm just telling you how I've gone about this and, and what my feelings are. And I do see the questions and concerns about this. And I do think the mandates are um, are troubling. But this is, you know, I'm being honest with you about how I see this and what I see going on. All right, roll call is continuing. And remember, if you want to send us your thoughts for the Buck Sexton Show, go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or teambuck at iheartmedia.com. And there we go. We have Richard who writes, this message is more for Mark, the sports fan. In last night's show, Buck asked you about your favorite radio sports announcer. I only listen to the radio announcers for my two favorite teams, the Cubs and the Blackhawks. The announcer for hockey is John Weedman, formerly the announcer for the Islanders. I think he is terrific. Did you have the opportunity to listen to him when you were a kid? I would gladly listen to Weedman and mute the TV, but there's always a 20-second delay, which renders that a useless option. Producer Mark. What say you? Hello. Uh, I do know uh, John Weidman. He used to be the uh, Islanders guy before uh, Chris King, who's the current Islanders radio announcer, who I used to work with. Uh, I never listened to him because I'm a Rangers fan, uh, but I did work with the Islanders. I've heard of him. He's a great announcer. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. I don't know. what else. Do you want something else from that? No, no. I just, just okay. you know, he's asking you, so we're po- posing the question. The team gets to hear your answer to your, the question asked to, to you. Great. Ask Alrighty. more questions. You know how to write in. All right, good talk. We got it. Ken, Buck, I flew on for Delta flights, a round trip of two legs each during the past week. On each flight, the pre-flight on-plane announcement said distinctly that masks are required by federal law. Some may think it's a subtle distinction, but an executive order by the president or a CDC-recommended guideline is not federal law. One could say it is a federal requirement, but no one I've talked to is aware of any federal law passed by Congress Mandating masks on public transportation and aircraft. Yeah, I can. I, I, I mean, you're correct in that. I, I don't believe there is any federal statute that has been passed. I don't think there's been any any federal uh, legislation on this issue. But it is it is often presented that way. There's often this uh, this presentation of it as though that was that were not the case. Um, yeah, the the plane thing drives me drives me completely nuts. I've never come across anybody who now. Now, I, I did get someone who wrote in. Um, I don't think we did a roll call, but I saw a message from someone who works for an airline. And he said that the airline attendants are f- afraid of other customers complaining and then complaining about the attendant getting him or her in trouble for not being a mask fascist. And that this is very common and the airlines then get worried that they will be 
in trouble with the public. And so they're very strict. So it's not that the attendants want to be such psychos about masks. It's that they're essentially responding to the psycho customers who demand everybody mask up between bites. So, yes, I think that's part of it. Doug writes, listen to Fauci suggest we wear masks for eternity. Reminds me when Kim Jong-un ordered that the men of North Korea get their hair cut like the beloved leader. Doug, did that happen? I don't, I don't remember that, but... Okay, Doug, thanks for writing in. Louie. So the left complains about the Georgia voting law suppressing votes because of the 9 to 5. And I know the counties can go 7-7. So why would they argue this? Uh, Most hardworking Republicans are at jobs during this time. It should be a godsend to the Democrats that they actually had a brain. Yeah, Louie, the Democrats have been misrepresenting the Georgia voting law all along. We know that, but it... It goes to this very emotional part of the Democrat narrative about voter suppression. And so the truth is a, is a casualty in all of this. And it, it's it's collateral damage. The Democrats are fine with that. And that's where we are. Team, make sure you go to BuckSexton.com and please subscribe to the Buck Sexton podcast on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Podbean, wherever you listen and pass it to a friend. Please do that for me, will you? Shields high.